This is OBS Radio, a service of OBS International, a division of Greater Works Business Services. And a pleasant good evening to you. Hope everything is going well, that you are enjoying your weekend so far. Welcome to the works. I'm your host. I'm Keith Williams, and today, uh, not the words, I'm sorry, this is the Author Showcase. I'm getting my podcast mixed up. <laughs> this is the Author Showcase, where we showcase book bloggers, bloggers, video bloggers, and even uh, publishers. Mm-hmm. So on today, we have Dr. Dorothy McCoy. And um, according to her uh, bio, uh, she she has nine books in total uh, that hopefully we'll be able to talk about uh, on today. But the main book, of course, Mm -hmm. uh, let me see if I can find it. Here it is. Uh, the mysterious, uh, the mysterious guard, uh, guardian. Is that correct? Mysterious secret guardians. Mysterious secret guardians. Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, according to our description, uh, Doctor McCoy is also a formal constable for the state of South Carolina and a member of a cold case squad. I she was. has written nine books in total. Uh, Dr. McCoy, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. I'm, I am very happy to be here. Uh, so in your own words, uh, tell the audience who you are. Well, I'm a psychotherapist. I have been for a while now specializing in trauma first responders, anxiety disorders, and uh, I'm also a writer. Um, Tell us a little bit about, uh, you say you've written nine books, but the main one is The Mysterious Secret Guardian. Correct. Uh, Tell us a little bit about that one first. Okay, it's the first of a series of three And it tells how our gang of uh, superheroes get together, how they come together in the beginning and why they were, of course, Winston Churchill, when you've got a problem and it's a really, really big problem, you call Winston Churchill, right? Mm -hmm. Well, the problem was he had been dead since 1965. And they also called Albert Einstein, who had been dead since 1955. But they had to come back, they were needed. So they are here, they're working on these cases. They're one of several teams around the world that keep us from blowing ourselves up and other things like that. They stay the hand that reaches for that red button. They stop us from inventing or using um, powerful weapons. They keep groups that are evil and would enslave us 
from being able to do it. So these teams keep our little world turning. So who are the uh, superheroes that's mentioned in your book? Okay, there's of course um, Prime Minister uh, Churchill, there's Dr. Einstein, there's an MI5 agent, David Smythe. David Smythe died the same year as um, Mr. Churchill. He was shot in the back of the head as he walked to his 1939 Rolls-Royce Phantom. Uh, there's also, not in this book, there are others coming along that will also be joining and some of them leaving, but there's uh, a Great Dane, um, Harlequin Great Dane, who died in 2013. And there's also Bones, who is a psychotherapist, and um, she is part Wyandotte Indian. Oh, that is very that that is very unique. What what type of uh, what type of superpowers do they have? Well, now she doesn't have any. She's mortal. She's the only mortal on there. But the others have, um, they can be from one place to the other like that. They can make themselves where they can't be seen if they want to listen in on things. They can do just about anything they want to do. They can take on um, demons. They're powerful enough to take them on, maybe not defeat them. We needed a little more super to do that. Who comes in later? It's going to be a big surprise. So uh, they can do just about anything that they want to do within reasons. Um, so what, what is the uh, inspiration behind this particular book? My inspiration for writing the book? Yes. Okay. I love Winston Churchill. I, he is my, he's my hero. He has been for years. I've read everything I could read about him. Every, a lot of what he wrote, and he was, he wrote a lot. He wrote a lot. Back then, politicians did not get rich uh, serving the people. They did not become millionaires like they do now. He had the right to be able to feed his family. So he wrote a lot. And I wanted today, the people today, to understand who he was. And I use a lot of the quotes in the book. These are his quotes, a lot of them. Uh, some of Dr. Einstein's quotes, who of course was the greatest scientist of the 20th century. So we have the greatest statement, statesman. We have the greatest scientist. We have an MI5 agent who is a honk. And we have uh, a therapist who pretty much tells the story. She has no powers. She can't go from here to Europe like that. She has to fly in an airplane. So, uh, but she tells the story and she's the only one that can be killed or harmed in any way. They cannot be harmed. So she has a rough time of it. She really does because the bad guys are after her since she's the only one that they can impact. And the bad guys are really bad. Dr. Joseph Mingley, 
of Auschwitz is still with us. He developed a youth serum. He took it along with some of his uh, uh, odious people that he worked with. And they are back, they are here in our time, but because of the youth serum, remember he did a lot of experiments at Auschwitz, uh, terrible experiments, terrible. But this particular one, they're still here. There's a number of them that are, they look exactly the way they did in 1944. They haven't changed at all. So we're, my group is fighting them to make sure they don't try to bring back the Nazis. In fact, they want to bring back Hitler. They have uh, some of his uh, cells, viable cells. They want to clone and bring him back in Goebbels and Himmler. And it's our job to make sure that doesn't happen. Oh yeah, I, I was going to ask you, uh, what were some of the villains uh, that is described in your book, looks like you mentioned a few of them. Are there, are there any others? There are, when later on in the book, it mentions it in this one, but the, the other two books talk about them more. There's a secret organization of people that want to enslave the world. And they are, they are working with Dr. Mengele because he has no money. They have plenty of money. They're working with Dr. Mengele, Hans, and Franz, uh, who worked with him at Auschwitz, and also Dr. Wagner, who worked with him at Auschwitz. So they're supplying all this money so he can do experimentation and buy big, wonderful labs. And so they will have to be dealt with, but they're not talked about specifically in this book. In the last book, they're named, and it's it's their turn. So, uh, you know, when I'm hearing you uh, answering these questions, uh, several groups of superheroes come to my mind. Uh, you got the uh, the Justice League. Uh huh. You got the uh, the Avengers. Uh huh. Uh, let's see. You got the uh, the the Marvel superheroes. Uh, I think that's uh, Spider Man. Yeah. The Incredible Hulk. Uh-huh. Um, like the Hulk. Okay. So some of the so those those are some of the those are the three groups that you know that that come to mind. Um these are what, so, different. Okay. So these are different. So what so what separate your group of superheroes from the ones that we we read in the comic books and we see uh in the movie? Okay, they look just like they did when they were alive. Um, Churchill would be dressed in his three-piece suit with his little gold watch and his little handkerchief. Dr. Einstein looks like Dr. Einstein, wild hair and all. Um, the hunk, a hulk. No, I've got a hunk. They've got a hulk. Anyway, he is extremely good looking. He wears his bomber jacket because back during World War II, he was a bomber pilot. All of these people look just like you, the two of us. You'd see them out on the street, nothing, you wouldn't pick up anything. Now they cannot, um, they cannot change 
Well, of course, each one of those that you mentioned, they have various things that they can do. They can't do everything. These can only do what they're allowed to do. They're not working on their own. They're working for beyond. Beyond is where we go when we're no longer in this world. Beyond sent them back and they're backing them. And this is their one uh, mission to accomplish. Now there are other teams. Uh, John Kennedy has a team. Agatha Christie has a team. So there are a lot of teams out there but they look just as we do. Uh, these teams that you mentioned, are they in this book or they're gonna be like in future books? They're, they only become invisible when, let's say, because uh, some people think that they're alive, like MI5 and uh, the Met in London, all of it is in London, okay? In the underground of London, the first book. Now, these organizations think David is alive. He changed his records, so they don't realize that he's been there since right after 1944. So that would make him awfully old. But they only become invisible, or he does. Let's say they're working on a case, my group, and the Met, the Met helps them. Uh, MI5 helps them because they have real people doing exactly what we would do on any case, like when I was with constables or the cold case uh, squad, they're doing the same things. And so they can stand over, David or um, Albert or Winston can stand over their shoulders and watch what they're doing and get the information if, it, if need be. And they go to other police organizations too to gather information. So they're doing it the old fashioned way, but let's say they find out there's a clue in uh, Romania. There's something they need to check on in Romania. They can be there like that. And they will do it the same way I would do it if I was working the case. They, you know, the leather on the sidewalk. Uh, you know, when I was a kid, you know, I was first, uh you know, introduced to the James Bond character who uh, yeah. was a, uh, he was an MI6 agent, you know, uh -huh. and I thought that, you know, all of that was a myth. So I did some digging, you know, you know, I know the British Secret Service was real, you know, you know, right. I knew that, but I thought all this MI5, MI6, all of that was, uh, you know, was not real, you uh -huh. know, you know, until I read an article uh, and it was talking about uh, who's the real James Bond. Uh -huh. And they was talking about, uh, you know, they was talking about uh, British uh, agents, you know, mm -hmm. who, you know, whatever James Bond did, they did it for real. They did, they mm -hmm. did. And there was a real cue that developed all of these, these crazy things. And in fact, he, by his real name, is mentioned in my third book, and the James Bond, the one they um, modeled after, he's, I think he's in the second book, just briefly, but I like to give these guys the credit they're due, like, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of SOE? No. Okay, during World War II, 
back then it was very gentlemanly about how everybody behaved. There were rules about how you behaved in a war. Well, the problem was the Germans weren't following those rules. So um, Prime Minister Churchill started his own group who would sneak in behind the lines and they would work like with the French resistance. Um, they, they learned to fight with knives. So if they had to uh, stop somebody quietly, they could do it. These were real heroes, the SOE. And so um, later on, two of my people I bring in are former SOE. And I talk, I talk about the real history of these things, like the miracle of Dunkirk. Uh, so all of those things I talk about in the book because they did some pretty amazing things that we're very proud of. Uh, so I guess it's obviously that this book is uh, uh, fiction, correct? But if there's like any like nonfiction elements in there, like uh, any type of historical reference? Absolutely. It is historical fiction with the paranormal. Now I threw in the paranormal because it was just fun. I just, it is fun. I mean, it just is. So we... Now we're going back and forth between our time and World War II. We even spend a little time in World War I. But whenever we visit one of these things that happen, like the miracle of Dunkirk, then the history is real. And when I get into the science of cloning and how might we be able to make a, a, a youth elixir, the science is real up to the point of it. We haven't cloned a human being yet, but I give the science of how that could be done and what we would need going forward to do it. So all of that is real. I, I research, 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 research. Um, so what, what, are, what are some of the audience uh, readers rather uh, reaction of this book it certainly is uh it sounds unique uh i don't think i ever you know ran across an author either you know that would uh you know do something like this uh i do remember when i was uh in high school uh i wrote a historical uh i wrote a historical short story for uh english class uh-huh Fortunately, it never materialized into a book. I don't know why, you know, it, you know, Darn. it didn't, but it, yeah, but it was a story, uh, you know, it was a story of a British royal, it was a story of a British royal family who, uh -huh. you know, obviously was in conflict with one another and one of their colonies was in rebellion. Uh -huh. and, and so uh, this particular colony, uh, try to invade Great Britain. Ah. Uh, you know, they saw the they saw the government as being uh unstable. Uh -huh. This was and they was thinking that this was the the best time to you know to invade the country. So uh -huh. he enlisted so he enlisted the help uh of a native 
you know, in that particular colony, huh. you know, to, to infiltrate the organization. Uh-huh. Um, and through her intelligence, uh, Great Britain got the, uh, the upper hand and uh, they uh, put down the rebellion. Uh-huh. Uh, as a, so as a reward, this young man ended up marrying her uh-huh. and, uh, and he moved, he, uh, and she moved to, uh, she moved to London where uh-huh. eventually the father died and he became the king. And so wow. you know, she, you know, became the queen. Uh, uh-huh. the name, the name of the short story was entitled India's Sara. Uh-huh. Sounds very interesting. And I'm glad you mentioned that romance because there is a romance in here between the MI5 agent, David Smythe, and the psychotherapist. Now, she's alive. He is not. So it makes for a lot of interesting work because it's like uh, they said in Fiddler on the Roof, a fish can love a bird, but where will they make their home? So there's a bit of a problem with them getting together. Yeah, that, that, that reminds me of a movie that came out, I think in the mid to late 70s, uh, was called The Obset- Obset- Obsession, where huh. this, yeah, uh, so this lady died. So there was a lady that, you know, there was a lady that died and, you know, they, they had a pretty good romance, but the lady ended up dying. And uh-huh. uh, he became really depressed. Uh-huh. And so he was wishing that, you know, he could rekindle, you know, that romance, but, she, you know, she's dead. But uh, her spirit, you know, her spirit came back to life and said, you know, I'll give you, you know, a second chance. Uh, uh-huh. But it turned very uh, suspenseful, you know, after that. Oh. Um, I didn't see the movie per se, but. I saw the, I saw the promo for it, uh-huh. and it sounds like he re- kind of regret, you know, having to, you know, rekindle that romance, even though he loved her. Uh-huh. Uh, he he found that it was a big mistake. So I thought uh-huh. I just throw, so I just thought I just, you know, throw that in there. Now in my short story, there was the two people, you know, was actually, you know, alive and. The mm-hmm. guy's name is Edward, and he's trying to save his, he's trying to save the kingdom from, uh, from invaders who were from the India, which at that time was a British colony. Uh huh. Yes, so it this, was. So, so this was actually set in the, uh, in the early 18th, 19th century. Uh huh. An interesting period. So yes, there's a romance um, which continues through the entire series. My next book comes out in November, and then the one after that will be out first part of uh, next year. And when I wrote the ending, all I can tell you was I I cried through the whole thing. So (laughs) you cried through the whole thing. What happened? Well, I can't tell you that. You've got oh, to you read, can't read that book. Oh, you, I mean, I, I just thought I, you know, I just thought, I mean, was it a happy ending? Was it a tragic ending? Well, I can't tell you that, but I can tell you it is a shocker. 
Okay, so the, the other two books that you've written, is it like a like a continuing continuing yes. story? Okay, so right. it's a continuing story. Okay. So uh, so what is uh-huh? Go go ahead. Well, uh, as I said, I'll be bringing in other people. The people that are brought in, except for one, are alive. They pop up in the story as it goes along. And um, one of them, uh, one of them was not, but the, re the rest were alive. So they, like bones, could be killed or harmed. So it gave someone else. And there's one person in here I just love. His name is Druid, and he's huge. He's like almost seven feet tall. He's got blonde hair and um, blue eyes, and he's huge. And he's loud. Uh, he's, he's scary. He is scary. He's on their side, but he's always popping in. He just pops in, yells at them, and pops out again. So he's a lot of fun. So th this carriage of bones that you're talking about, uh, does that have anything to do with the uh, uh, the television series? Because I oh. think uh, one one of, one oh. of the characters in that series is they call her Bones. Is, 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 uh, this is from a TV series, but not that one. Star okay. Trek had Doctor Bones McCoy. And so that bones comes from that, not oh, okay. Yeah, not the other. Not the not the detective. Okay. No, just they used to call doctors back in the day sawbones, and then it just shortened to bones. Oh, but no, I I, I didn't know that because uh, you know I didn't know that because no, normally on the Star Trek series, uh, everybody is called by their last name. Yeah, usually he's called Bones uh, in the early series, the original series. I'm not okay. sure about the updated ones. Um, I don't know. But if I see every once in a while one on video or something. So if you get a chance, look at one with the original players. And uh, Spock, Jim, and Bones were the, the three um, that were leading the show. Uh, so, what type of adventures that these characters, you know, you know, like um, or what is the what what exactly are some of their adventures? Okay, when they're first given the assignment by Beyond, they have no idea where to find uh, Mingley. Where in the world is he? So they start having to uh, trace him down the way I would if I were looking for someone. And they go through uh, their fights. They take over labs. They, it's just chaos off and on as they try to um, get this man. Now, remember, even though he's alive, he would be right at a hundred years old. He's he's learned a lot in a hundred years. So it's putting his brain, and he was, he was a brilliant man. He was evil, but he was brilliant. So he is always trying to outsmart them. He doesn't realize that they were brought back. He thinks that, that someone just made them look 
like Einstein and um, Churchill to um, fool him, to make him think they had that, po that power. He doesn't realize they really are dead. So it's a lot of back and forth between him and them and blowing up things. And there, there's just adventure all through it. Uh, you know what? I, I really can see this. Uh, I really can imagine this book being, you know, a movie or something, you know. Uh, That's what probably, everybody says. Probably, uh, probably uh, a theatrical, you know, movie. It'll probably be uh, a kind of expensive movie, you know, to, to make well, but I think the uh, the audience will you know enjoy. It. It's like really so, it's something different because it is. I've we, had uh, a lot of people say what you said. You know, and I haven't even read it yet. You know, and based on what you told me, uh, I come to those uh, two conclusions. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So I can so I can imagine that's one of the. I can imagine that's one of the the responses that you know you get from readers. So what what are some other responses have you got? They become attached to the characters. Um, the Harlequin Great Dane, who has all sorts of powers, she's an ancient entity. She's different from the others. She can do just about anything she needs to do. So a lot of now. She is my great Dane, who I had for years, who died in 2013. So it was a thrill to me to bring her back because it just broke my heart when she died. So now, whenever I write one of these books, Sophie's right there with me. And she is amazing. A lot of people love her. A lot of people are attracted to, of course, Churchill or Einstein. Several have said they like bones because she is so in your face. She, nothing scares her. She, she's been called in the book foolhardy, pretty much. She is. So people like the characters. Now, the lady that does my editing was a journalist for years and years and years. And she knows, uh, she knew uh, Dean Coombs and she interviewed him and people like that. And she said that this book was, she had never read anything like it, that it was very unique to her. She loves the characters. She's become one of the guardians on the outside, but <laughs> people just love the characters and what they're doing. And it's for, I believe in the basic, there's evil and there's good. I'm on the side of good. And I want good to win because it often does it in our world. I'm, I'm curious to know where you get the, the title of the book from. My, actually, my agent and I sat down, well, we were on the telephone, but we went back and forth for maybe an hour trying to come up with a name for this. And we finally came up with that one. Mysterious uh, Secret Garden. That's right. They're always there. They're always protecting mankind. They don't always win now. They were trying to protect John Kennedy when he was killed, but they weren't able to do it. 
So they don't always win, but they try really hard. And they're, of course, very bright, very talented. But since he died, they put him on a team. So we still have him with us. Uh, Agatha Christie's team helps us every once in a while. And John Kennedy's team helps us every once in a while. I don't know the leaders of the other teams, but um, it, it gets into a lot of things. What, what, what are some of the themes uh, that is displayed in this book? The themes? Yes. Okay. Well, there's always the overriding good against evil. Now, they were given a prime directive, which has been a problem at times. You never kill a living human unless you're saving an innocent. If an innocent is about to be killed, then you can kill. But unless that is the case, you cannot kill. So that is throughout. They have principles and Bones almost got in trouble with that, <laughs> that one one time. Fortunately, the guy didn't die. Uh, the other themes are we honor. In Churchill's time, honor was an important word. You were an honorable person. There were standards in society. Uh, you didn't lie. You didn't cheat. You didn't steal. Uh, your word was your bond, those types of things. So those come out through uh, throughout. And also that good has an advantage over evil. Might not be this time, but eventually good will win out. So, so is this kind of like the real life struggle between good and evil? Exactly. And most of the time, the people on the team have to do the same things that you and I were doing if we were detectives and we were trying to solve a case. I'm curious to know uh, where the, the inspiration came from when you have chosen uh, these characters. Well, of course, Churchill, I loved Churchill. He is an amazing man, absolutely amazing. And of course, uh, Dr. Einstein is amazing and he's needed throughout the three books when something of a scientific nature comes up and it does fairly often. So the MI5 agent, I just wanted someone that I could make up myself. Uh, the other two, I have to make them do things that they would do in real life. And I try to do that. But this one, I could, I could do anything with him. He's very honorable. He's very brave. He's very dedicated, energetic, uh, handsome. And um, so I wanted somebody like that as with Bones, so there would be that romance too throughout the series, because everybody, I'm a big Agatha Christie fan, and she almost always had some little romance in her books. So if, if I would have to place this book in a genre, what genre would this book fall under? Well, it is historical fiction, but it is also paranormal. So I had to pretty much put those two together, paranormal, historical fiction, and some, I've had some people review it that were into paranormal romance, where mm. one of the people was not alive, 
it really wouldn't fall into that because it's something that's more behind the scenes and it's talked about in little pieces. Uh, and of course, um, paranormal romance would be, that's what, that's what it's about. But no, this one just has a little bit of that. Uh, so the, the paranormal romance you're talking about, uh, does that remind you of the movie Ghost? Oh, I love the movie Ghost. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, no, not really. Now, I think they just kind of fell into some things. And of course, Whoopi Goldberg helped them because she was able to, to get through. But they were not on a mission of any sort. He was just killed because of the whole money angle. And these people are on a mission. These are remarkable people. Okay, so you got action, you got adventure, uh -huh. uh, you got mystery. Uh -huh. So there's a lot of detective stuff in here. Stop uh -huh. me if I'm wrong. Okay. I mean, like I said, I haven't read the book yet, but based on uh, your answers, uh, that's what I came up with. So, and you're right. Mm -hmm. And you have been a detective yourself. You know, well, right? I wasn't a detective. I worked at the Criminal Justice Academy. Okay. And I volunteered at the Sheriff's Department in the cold case squad because they had all of these packs of cold cases, but they had not been arranged in any way they could actually be worked. So I went in there, went through the whole file, and they were those accordion files. And I would write it up in a way that the detectives could then follow. This is where the cars are. These were the weapons. These were the witnesses. This is what happened. This is where the evidence is now. So I gained a lot of knowledge doing that, but I was not out in the field. Okay. Uh, I'm surprised that uh, I'm surprised that people like Charlie Chan or Sherlock Holmes are not in any of your books. I think they're great detectives. They are, but they were alive. And uh, most of mine <laughs> are dead. So I'm sure they're dead by now. I, uh, I love Sherlock Holmes. I love the way he does things. Uh, I think every law enforcement officer should have to read those books because he, um, and I think they use that at the academy. I know I did in teaching. But I, I wanted the best of the best. And Einstein and Churchill are the best of the best. And they're not detectives by, you know, neither one of them were a detective. The only one that had the law enforcement experience, well, two, Bones and David, because he worked for MI5 before he was shot in the back of the head. So they, they know the detective work, the police work. And the other two are just brilliant. They come up with the plans and things like that. And you said there, there is a real quartermaster or Q? Yes, yes. The person, and I read that not too terribly long ago because he's in the third book. The person that they used as a model for Q was brilliant. He stayed. He kept a low profile for whatever reason. Maybe he didn't want to get killed, but he was absolutely brilliant. And so I talk about the real person uh, in the third book 
name him and talk about some of the things that he actually invented like shoe brushes that were more than a shoe brush, hair brushes, all kinds of innocuous little things that had pins that could be used as weapons. Right, just like in the, you know, the James Bond series where you have Q uh -huh. you know, making all these crazy gadgets and he's always on, you know, the underground. Now, every now and then you may see him out in the field, uh -huh. but for the most part, uh, you know, Q is always, you know, behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's an interesting guy. Now, that only comes up a little bit. Uh, because uh, I think there was once that they actually needed something to develop they could use, because you've got to remember, you, you can't kill these people except for bones. So if they can get their hands on someone, because they're much stronger than they would have been when they were alive, they're very strong. And so they could, they could take out anybody they needed to take out. Now, there are a couple of superhuman uh, figures in there that they could not. It takes somebody at a higher level. So I had to bring in somebody at a higher level to take care of the superhuman like demon. Demons are tough. Yes, of course. Yeah. But um, I can't tell you about him because he doesn't show up as himself until the third book. Uh, okay, so the other two books are not out yet. No, should, the first one, um, the one after this one should be out in November. That's the Mysterious Secret Guardians at Owl Mountain, which is in Poland. And so they're, they have, they're there to try to keep the world from being destroyed. And then the last one is called um, Mysterious Secret Guardians, the final chapter. Then all of these lines that I have been drawing and putting, weaving together have to be resolved. And I don't resolve everything in here in this book or everything in the second book. The ones that are left at the end are resolved in the third book. Uh I'm I'm curious to know, you know, with that story that I told you, that short story that uh, I wrote, uh, uh -huh. you know, in English class. I'm 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 curious to know, uh, should I pursue writing a novel, sure. you know, on that? Because uh, there there is a sequel. Sure. Uh, there's a there's a sequel to uh, there's a sequel to uh, uh, that short story. It's called King Edward's Courtyard. Uh -huh. And it talks about the reign of Edward in the first uh -huh. book, of uh -huh. course, who is still married to uh, uh, the, la the, the lady that he brought from India. Uh-huh. Yeah, I would definitely pursue it. Now, this is what helped me to write a book, and it might help you. Okay. I, I had written the other books were self-help books because I'm a psychotherapist. But this, I could not write fiction. I couldn't, I just couldn't. Then I read this article by Dean Koontz and he said, because most people make an outline, this happens in this chapter, this chapter. I couldn't do that because I didn't know what was gonna happen. So he said, 
create really good characters, fill them out completely, what they do, what they wouldn't do, all of those things to what they wear, what they eat, you've got a full character. When you create them, they write the book. And that's exactly what happened with my three books. The characters, I didn't know what was going to happen until they did it. So how long did it take you to write this, uh, you know, write this book? Because I, I, I know with, you know, any type of fiction novel, it's probably going to take a really long time to actually put something together. Was, no. was that your case? No, I wrote all three of them within a year and a half. Within a year and a half. Wow. I'm fast. I, um, I'm not, I, I don't think that I would be able you know, to do that. I mean, I'm not really a fiction kind of author. I'm, I'm more of a nonfiction, you know, mm -hmm. type of person, you know. Um, uh-huh. So I'm a poet, so I write poetry. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. You can write, if you can write poetry, you can write fiction. You've already got your characters, fill them out completely, their likes, their dislikes, their temperaments, and sit down and let them do their thing. They will do it. So with this first book that you have written, how long did it take you to write it? Oh, it was probably about six months. Oh, six months. Yeah, I kind of figured that. I kind of figured it, it would you know, probably take longer to write a fiction book than it is a yeah. nonfiction book. Yeah. Uh, it, but remember now, I work full time. I'm a psychotherapist. I see clients during the week. I have a full load, probably a hundred altogether. So I'm busy with that in my house and my dog and all of this sort of thing. So I had to do that when I had the time, like maybe on the weekends. Oh my goodness. I mean, you mean to tell me you had you have a full schedule and you still manage uh to write this book of such mm -hmm. a unique magnitude. Yep. Yep. I fell in love with my characters. And I'll probably write a fourth book because if I don't, my characters are gonna die. They're, they're going to be gone. Nobody will be writing about them anymore. So I will probably write a fourth book and maybe a fifth book. Who knows? Um, I mean, do you see uh, do you see any of these novels uh, in like a maybe a comic book or something? Actually, I I don't know if I sent it to you or not, but I had a, a graphic designer draw each one of these people how they would look as a graphic so mm -hmm. she drew one now some of them are people i haven't mentioned uh, yet because they're in later books but i'll have to send that to you when we finish so i know what each one of them of course i knew about the the top two because they were real but it shows what each one of these people look like each one of the characters could they Go in a comic book, sure they could. Is, is, is that something that you might consider? I think it's a good idea. You know, well, really, they. I don't know much about it. I really don't. I know as a kid, I loved comic books. Uh, I just, you know, I read a lot of those, but I, I, I don't know that much about it, to tell you the truth. 
I, I, I really think that's a good idea that uh, that you should pursue having, you know, these characters, uh, you know, in a comic book. Um, you probably just have to find a, you know, like you said, a graphic designer or something, you know, that would be willing to uh, to collaborate with you, you know, or something mm -hmm. like that. But I think it's a really good idea, you know, and who knows, uh, it may become a movie. Well, a lot of people have said they could see this as a movie. That yeah. they, at reading it, they could see in their minds what's going on. And so they said they thought it would make a really good movie. One of the characters, I haven't introduced him yet because he doesn't come in until the second book. He looks like Clint Eastwood. He, he's except much old, well, no, Clint Eastwood's old now. But anyway, he looks like Clint Eastwood, except he, um, he's real and he's a MI5 agent. He comes up later on. And so they can, and I'll say this, when he walked in the door, he looked like an older Clint Eastwood, you know, with the, all the hair and everything. So people can see the characters, they come alive in their brains. No, nobody's mentioned cartoons, but that's not a bad idea. Uh, they have mentioned movies, uh, but I, I never thought about cartoons, to tell you the truth. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I can see this being a cartoon, you know, too, because, you know, growing up, uh, uh -huh. you know, I used to watch, I mean, as far as superhero movies, you know, superheroes concerns, uh, you have uh in the in the 70s you had the super friends uh-huh um in the mid 70s you had you know uh you know you had a guy called hong kong fooey uh -huh. uh, back in the mid 70s of course i was too young when it came out but i, I remember as a youngster maybe about two, uh, two or three years old that you know i used to watch it in syndication uh <laughs> Uh, and then in the 80s, you had uh, folks like Spider-Man mm -hmm. and his amazing friends. You had the Incredible Hulk. Uh, in the 90s, you have the, the X-Men, of course. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, you know, that's... Before, you know, you had the Batman. You had now, the Aquaman. I... You had... The, the, the problem with most of the superheroes that are out there they need a super villain. Mm -hmm. And mo most of the villains in my books are human. They might be 100 years old and look 40, but they're human until I get toward the end. And then we have like a super, super uh, villain. But they are, it's pretty much doing what we would do, looking for real humans that just happen to be um evil just just evil, and evil um, now, that, that, now that kind of reminds me of the original batman series too where all the you know the criminals you know that uh -huh. they deal with they're human uh-huh that's you true know, you know you know they're human you know they're human you got the penguin you got uh cat woman you got who was the Joker, the Riddler? Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh, and uh, I, I guess for me, you know, if I had to be uh, a villain, I, I would like to be Mister Freeze. 
I, I think that would probably be a good villain. Now, the Joker was, he was a character you could laugh at originally, but then the Joker later on in the Batman movies, he was, he was scary. <laughs> he was really yeah, scary. Yeah, uh, yeah the, the Joker character like really evolved, you know, over the years. Uh, when uh -huh. he first came out, you know, he was like this comical, Exactly. You know, he was like this comical type person, you know, even when, uh, you know, the Batman theatricals uh, franchise came out in the late 80s, you know, he uh -huh. was, you know, still resembled the Joker of the 60s, uh -huh. you know, but when, but when the franchise had rebooted itself, uh, the Joker had became a very dark character. He was very, very dark. And I understand the last movie was the darkest. I have not seen it, but I understand it's, it's getting even uh, darker. Yeah, he kind of reminds me of, uh, he kind of reminds me of Pennywise from It. Who? Uh, Pennywise uh, from Stephen King's uh, It. I didn't read it. I've read a lot of Stephen King. He scared me to death with Pet Cemetery, but I haven't read, I didn't read that one. I, I didn't read the book. I actually saw the, it was a miniseries actually. Oh, I didn't uh, see it. It was a miniseries that came out in the, in the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah, it was kind of oh. scary. Oh, he's a scary guy. So that's what the, the, the present Joker, he kind of reminds me of Pennywise. Uh -huh. You know, you know, he had that laugh, but that, you know, he had that laugh, but it wasn't like a comical laugh. It was, you know, it was, you know, his laugh was like real, you know, scary because you didn't know what he's going, you don't know what he's going to do or what he's capable, you know, of doing. So that's what that reminds me of. So it was, it was a, you know, big evolution from the you know the joker that i remember you know from the 60s that we that i used to enjoy mm -hmm. you know watching in syndication but this but, is very unique i don't think i ever heard you know anything of this magnitude uh you know before uh i'm i'm you know i'm you really got me curious you know to you know read the book Good. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Now, being a psychotherapist, I speak at conferences on narcissists and psychopaths. So mm -hmm. the bad guys, I am able, because sometimes we're listening in on their thoughts in my book, and uh, I, can, I can do psychopaths because I know how they think. I can do narcissists because I know how they think. So it gives that realism to the bad guys. They may not be able to do superhero stuff or supervillain stuff, but they are evil. Right, kind of like a, right, kind of like a, in Superman, you got, you got Lex Luthor, you know, he's, uh -huh. you know, he's a human being, but, you know, he supposedly, you know, be one of, you know, have one of the greatest criminal minds you know, in the world, okay, mm -hmm. I, I, I think I can put him, you know, in that category, but then on the other hand, you have this, this super villain, they call him a dark seed, uh -huh. you know, something, a, a clear, 
you know, a clear, con you know, contrast between Darcy, uh, which was not, you know, in any, uh, you know, live action, you know, movie. Uh, he only appeared in, he appeared in the comics and he appeared uh, in, you know, several incarnations of the, you know, uh, of animation of animation series. Uh, but Lex, Lex Luthor, you know, he's, uh, you know, you'll see him, you know, no matter what type of, yeah, you know what type of media it could be comic books, it could be film, it can be TV, you know, you know, whatever. You would always find him. Mm -hmm. And this guy is human. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, he's, you know, he's not terribly dark though. He no, no, no. Yeah. Now, one of mine is well, several of them are very. It's very, very dark. They these people are. You know, they're Ted Bundy. They're they're dark. Now, um, going going. Uh, you know, I know we got a few more minutes left, but uh, you know, let's talk a little bit about. You know, let's talk a little bit about you know what you have done in the past. Uh, you know, being a constable. What, so what what was that like? Because you know, I know all constables are not alike. No, no, I was a state constable here in South Carolina. You have to go through training, law enforcement training, usually done by a sheriff's department, and you're appointed by the governor, and you can work under any law enforcement agency in the state, but you have to, I couldn't just go out there on my own, I have to be under uh, sheriff's department, police department, something like that. So I did that for a number of years. That's volunteer. You don't get paid for that. You ride so the, So is is uh so is that like uh so do, does each county have one? Uh it's it's not according to you can have any number of constables. There's not a top number. Uh usually it's from the county. But like I said, you work under one of the departments and uh, you have a, a uniform that is, even if I were to work with the sheriff here, I would wear a, the constable uniform, which is entirely different than the department I'd be working under. And you, you don't get paid. You go out there, risk your life. I wore a gun. I wore a badge. But you're not paid. You a gun and you wore the and you're not wow because I'm here in Alabama. Obviously, oh. I'm on, I'm in Alabama, and uh, constables in Alabama are a lot different than really it is in South Carolina. Yes, uh, so roughly there are 105. There are 105 constables in the state of Alabama. Huh. Each one is attached to a state. House of Representatives district. So every House of Representatives, so every state House of Representative district has a constable. I'll be darned. That and is there are, Yeah, there are 105 members of the state House of Representatives mm -hmm. in the state of Alabama. And each district has its own constable, which are elected every four yeah. years. Huh. And they're all with. Yeah, they're elected every four years uh, oh during the general election. Huh. 
so uh, presidential. So they are elected. Some are elected during the midterms. Some uh -huh. are elected. Some are elected during the during, during the uh, general election, the presidential you know election, and their duties are far more different than uh -huh. you know than is South Carolina and. Constables in Alabama actually get paid, so they, so they get paid here. That's nice. I don't, I, I, I don't know how much, but you know they get paid, uh -huh. and they usually uh, are paid monthly. Uh huh. I'll be doing. But, yeah, that's yeah, but it's, it's, yeah, uh, and a lot of what they do uh, has nothing to do, you know, with law enforcement. They don't wear a uniform. You know, they don't, uh, they work with law enforcement, uh, you know, on, you know, on some things, uh, but they usually, you know, carry out, um, how should I put this? Uh, I know one thing they do is that, you know, they serve important papers, they uh -huh. work with law enforcement on certain, you know, on certain activities, uh, but they don't, they don't carry a gun. And they don't wear a uniform, and they're they're not involved, you know, in any type of criminal investigations, you know, or anything mm -hmm. like, you know, like that. It's kind of like, uh, you know, you're a court reporter or a researcher huh. on on steroids. Hmm, that's interesting. You know, but they do, mm -hmm. yeah, but they do work with law enforcement on. The local level, I mean, the city level, the county level, and sometimes the state level, depending on, you know, what you know what the issue is. But you know, as far as you know, being a law enforcement officer, uh, uh -huh. that's not the case with a constable here in Alabama. I decided to become a constable because I, I presented to law enforcement. I talked to them about different things, wellness and all, how to think logically, how to control your emotions, things like that. So a sergeant, Sergeant Gowell, he said, hey, why don't you take the training and get out there yourself and you'll understand what it's like. And he said that to me several times. So finally I said, okay, I'm gonna do that. And I, I did. And it was an eye opening. It really was. So you really got to see what law enforcement, you know, was really all about. Uh, and it's mm -hmm. not based on what you see on TV or what you see, yeah. uh, or what you see, uh, what you read about on social media. Exactly, exactly. Between the academy where I worked, I developed their master instructor program. That's why I was hired there. So I developed that. It was one of three in the country at that time. The other one, another one was in California. I don't, I don't remember where the third one was. So that's why I was there. But then I got caught up in, in this. And then I started working in that cold case squad, which also was volunteer. I didn't get paid for that. I just volunteered my time to do it because I was pretty good at organizing it and put it in, in a succinct way that somebody could pick up my report and just go down it to um, work on the case, whatever the case happened to be. So you got all this stuff going on here. When do you sleep? <laughs> I'm not, 
I'm not at the police academy anymore and I'm not a state counselor. I am in the state guard, South Carolina State Guard, um, in case there is some sort of horrible emergency. I'm in the medical unit, but I'm not doing either one of the law enforcement right now. I, I don't have time for it. As you said, I must sleep now and again. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, I mean, that's a relief. Uh, so uh, we are definitely a little bit over time, but- oh. uh, yeah, but I mean, it's, but it, it, yeah, this was great. Um, yeah. If anyone wanted to uh, purchase this book or any future books that you have, um, mm -hmm. how would they be able to purchase this book? They could put my name, Dorothy McCoy, into Amazon or Books and no uh, Barnes and Noble. Uh, my website is mysterioussecretguardians.com. They can go on there. And there's some uh, information blogs and different things for members. Uh, either way, they could do it either way. And I'd love for them to do it. I love to hear from readers. That is so exciting to me. What did you like about the book? Was there anything you would have changed? What do you think about the characters? I love that. So when you read it now, you got to get in touch with me so I can ask. Oh, yeah. Um, I definitely have your email, so... And yeah, I'm definitely interested uh, in, you know, reading a book. I mean, the title just grabbed. You know, it's kind of like, uh, you, know, you know, it's kind of like, you know, what, what, what are some some great, you know, titles for, you know, action movies? Uh, let, 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 let me think. Uh, uh, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Mm -hmm. You know, that's that that's a good, you know, that's a good title. Pet Cemetery uh, was a good title, I thought. Well, I mean, yeah, we we talking about, yeah, I'm I'm referencing to, you know, the genre that your book falls, oh, you know, on, yeah, you know, like the the Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I said legal extraordinary gentleman. Uh, I, I can't think of it on the top of my head, but you get the idea, right? Right, absolutely. And it's <laughs> okay. And it, the full title is Mysterious Secret Guardians in the London Underground. So that adds another element. Oh, you're right. Um, and you fourth book. Uh, Characters, fourth book. Okay, I, I didn't get that. Could you say that again? Because you were pinging in and out. Um. Yeah, I think. And if there is a fourth book, uh, what type of characters do you have in mind for that book? It will be the characters that I have now because the ones I told you about are just a few. I now have about six or eight that come and go. So they would be in there. I would probably introduce maybe another character too. You've got to have some people that can be killed. You can't have any suspense if nobody can be killed or harmed. So I keep putting mortals in. Right. 
And I'm not sure, I haven't really thought, of, well, I have too, but I can't tell you because it, I would be revealing the end of the third one. But the, the fourth one is going to be interesting. Uh, you know, that, you know, that's fair enough. I mean, I don't want you to, uh, you know, I don't want to ask any questions to where, you know, the answer might be a spoiler alert. Yeah, we want people to be surprised. Um, so, you know, that, you know, being uh, folks, You know, so one of the things we'll probably be doing is that, you know, if we're able to grab, you know, purchase some of these books uh -huh. or get a hold of some of these books from the authors, you know, that one day, you know, I would do, you know, we'll have, you know, we'll have a show or two to where we'll just be reviewing books. Uh-huh. So uh, that may be something, you know, to consider maybe at the end of the year year or something the author showcase will you know select a couple of books and mm -hmm. we'll just do a review of it uh that will probably be something uh the last saturday of the month before we go into 2023 okay. and, and then and then every year and then every year after that the last sunday of every year you know that uh out of all the people that we have on the show uh-huh on the podcast, we'll choose a, a, a handful of them and we'll Me? just do a review. Me? <laughs> so, uh, we'll, so what we'll do is that I'll reach out to all of the authors that we had in the past, uh, uh -huh. you know, and say, hey, you know, we're going to do a book review at the end of the, at the end on the last Saturday of the month. If you would like to be considered, please submit a copy of your book and then uh -huh. we'll choose maybe about maybe about four or five and, uh -huh. and, we'll, and we'll do a review. So that's something that I thought about. Good. Yeah, you know, and my about. second one will be out by then because it's coming out in November. Uh, coming out in November. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so your website again. Is Mysterious Secret Guardian. So your website again. Uh, MysteriousSecretGuardians.com. Um, uh, you, you already got me interested in, in reading this book now. Uh, uh it's kind of like a sensationalist, you know, escapist, you know, type of ordeal, you know, mm -hmm. that you have N not saying that it's, it's an escape from, you know, reality. That's, that's uh -huh. not what I mean. You, you know, you know, that's what I mean. Uh, I, I don't, you know, that's not what I mean, you know, what uh -huh. I mean is, is that, you know, it is, is, is unique in nature and with a world that we're living in right now, mm -hmm. you know, I think it would be great if we're able to, you know, escape into another world and, mm -hmm. you know, kind of see the world from a different lens. Um, so they call all You know, they got some.
you know, it gives people a way to own life, you know, to see uh, what other pers perspectives or worldviews there are, you know, out there. Uh, I think that was a common thing back in the, you know, 70s, where you had a lot of uh, movies that were sensational or, you know, escapist in nature. And mm -hmm. it, it really, you know, it really gave people, uh, it really tapped into people's imagination. Uh, TV mm -hmm. shows too, like The Twilight Zone. Oh my goodness. The, <laughs> or The Outer Limits. Uh-huh. You know, just to give an example, our most recent one uh, that was very popular, The X-Files. Yes, yes. That was a good show. I've seen that a yeah. few times. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, so those are some kind of examples, uh, you know, that we can say that there are sensational or so escape, you mm -hmm. know, in there, you know, as well. But, you know, but you're able to, you know, it was all fantasy. So you're able to escape, you know, from a normal world you know, mm -hmm. into something that's different and unique. And mm -hmm. so, uh, you know, when I discovered this uh, pitch, you know, I kind of knew that that falls under uh, the same tra train of thought. So mm -hmm. uh, right. I'm, I'm hooked. You know, I'm so <laughs> I can't wait to purchase. I can't wait to purchase the book. Well, now I sent a Kindle. So somebody's got the Kindle there. Okay. Yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, it, it, yeah, I mean, I, it is available on, it is available on Amazon Kindle. Uh-huh. That's where, okay, yeah, so, uh, so you can get it with pay, uh, the printed version. Uh, Kindle, you can download it on on your Kindle, I mean, I have. Yeah, and I sent the Kindle one. So somebody there's got it. Uh, okay, uh, and we're going to end here. Okay. Um, Dr. McCoy, I just want to thank you for, you know, being on the show. Uh, this was definitely a treat for me uh, because I got, to to hear what type of you know the uniqueness of this book you uh -huh. know and i'm intrigued i'm now intrigued to you know purchase it i'm quite sure that you had a lot of people uh that kind of said something on you know, the similar lines you know what i'm saying i mean you got me curious now i want to read this mm -hmm. book uh-huh I really have, and it's uh, it's exciting to think about new readers because I want them to have a good time. I'm a therapist. I want you to have a good time, and uh, hopefully this will be one way to do it. So would you say that this book is like therapeutic in nature? In a way, in a way because one, we learn about uh, psychopaths. They're out there. They're very charming they cause a lot of damage to people. So it kind of gives them an idea what to look for. There's that, I know that these people in the end 
are going to win. And if they win, I win because we, um, we, we want that. We want the good guy to win and we don't always get that. So I, it's therapeutic in that way. Oh, you know what, <laughs> you know, you know what that reminds me of what? now, uh, it's a James Bond film. It's the last film that Roger Moore, uh, starred in back in 1985. It's called, uh, A View to a Kill. And the uh -huh. villain, the, the villain, the main villain in this movie, you, you've already described him. You really? Know? Yeah. You know, his name is Zorin, Max Zorin. So uh -huh. he's a, so he's an entrepreneur. He's an industrialist, you know, and you know he's good looking, but he's a psychopath. They're, yeah, they're often attractive, and yeah, they, they're, they're attractive. And this guy had a high IQ. Yeah, uh, and you know it was basically, uh, you know, it was a Russian. Uh, you know, he was part of a Russian experiment that went wrong. He had a high I he had a high IQ, but he turned out to be a psych psychotic. You know, and he wanted to take over uh the world's microchip uh market by destroying Silicon Valley, which is outside of San Francisco. Right, right. Huh. That's an yes. I didn't see any of the James Bond except the last few with uh, Daniel Craig. Those are the only ones I've seen. You're uh, right. You know, I used to have the whole collection. Uh, uh -huh. I think it was like uh, up into up into Skyfall, you know, that I had. Uh, uh -huh. I think I lost most of them. <laughs> so oh. I had to start all over again. Darn. <laughs> yeah, no, but I but I had the classic ones uh, with Sean Connery and Roger Moore. Then I had the uh, the Timothy Dalton's, the uh, the Pierce Bronson. You know, I had them all uh -huh. up into Skyfall. Uh huh. That's nice to. Well, I guess you'll have to recollect them. But it's nice yeah. to have that ongoing theme. You know, the people in the past, the books I've enjoyed the most. Uh, are ones where it goes on. It might only go on for two or three books, like Dean Cook's um, Odd Thomas. There were two or three of those, and you get to love the characters. So you get the book so you can find out what the character's up to. I like that continuity. Right, and another, uh, another character, of course, he hasn't evolved uh, during the Daniel Craig area. Uh, what was his name? Uh, Blofeld. So he's played by a different person now, but this uh he's played by different during the Daniel Craig era. Uh, uh -huh. Blofeld got more, so his character is more darker and more psychotic than the Blofeld in the past. Yeah, it, it was that the one that they locked up, but he managed to get out and that something had happened to his face and he was yeah. woo. He was evil. Yeah, he, yeah, that that yeah, that was you know he was pure evil. You know that's that's the big Psychic contrast. Man. You know that's a big contrast to uh, Charles Gray, who played uh, Blofeld in the seventies. You know uh -huh. that's that's a uh, you know this a total 
that's a total contrast. You know, even Telly Savala's uh, version of Blow Fell in 1969, you know, oh. couldn't even compare to uh, the Blow Fell of today. Uh, it was in 2015 when uh, Spectre, you know, came out, which, uh -huh. you know, reintroduced the, you know, evil organization that's built, built on world domination was reintroduced in 2015, you know, hence yeah. the name. Right, and I've got one of those organizations. They're they're evil. They're not well. Yeah, they are criminal, but it's primarily their ideology. You know, we we should we should run the world, and we'll do it right. You just do what we tell you. Um, power gone mad. Is it right? But you know, this blow fell. You know, he kind of reminds me of. I mean, he's, you know, he's not the Joker, but uh -huh. they, they share similar characteristics. Like, you know, he's dark. The character is a dark character. It's psychotic, psychotic, um, psychotic in nature. Yeah. You know, and, you know, he represents, you know, a real dark brand of evil. Yeah, he's definitely a, a psychopath. And they... And I, um, in one of my counseling books, uh, The Manipulative Man, I have, I talk about psychopaths and narcissists and antisocial. These people, you better be able to identify them because they can do harm. Mm -hmm. But yeah. I really enjoyed this today with you. Uh, I appreciate you having me on here and I've just enjoyed it so much. Well, thank you so much, and uh, <laughs> thank you so much for uh, taking time out of your busy schedule to, you know, be a part. Is like I said, this it's been a treat, uh, something, you know, very unique that uh, we don't get from other authors. Uh, oh, you know, but then again, you know, the authors that come on here, they always bring something unique to these podcasts. So it's kind, oh. it's not like your you know, traditional shows, you know, where you have, you know, people that are supposed to be well-known and powerful and all of uh -huh. that. So, you know, if we get them on these podcasts, you know, that's fine. Oh, yes. You, you know, you know, you know, you know, you know, that's, you know, that's fine. If they want to be on these podcasts, you know, that's fine. You know, but people like you, for example, you know, I really think that that brings fire you know, brings fire to these podcasts because uh -huh. the people that comes on here, the audience said, well, you know, I can relate to this guest, you know, in, you know, in some way. So it's like uh -huh. ordinary. So when you have ordinary people doing these interviews on these podcasts, the audience tend to relate to them more, you know, than someone, let's say that you got former President Obama, you know, they uh -huh. come. Uh-huh. I mean, surely that would be a huge boost, you know, to the shows. But, sure. you know, when it comes to, you know, you know, being able to relate to what they're going through, um, yes. you know, people like you set the standard, you know, for that. And that's why I like to invite people like you to, you know, be on these podcasts because people, you know, somehow they'll be able to relate you know, what that person's going through or what that person has written, uh, uh -huh. their occupation, um, 
you know, we can have a community organizer, you know, on here. And someone said, well, you know, uh, I'm a community organizer. I, I can relate to it. Uh -huh. um, uh -huh. So those are the people that we tend to invite on these podcasts be, uh, because uh, people that are watching in some way they can relate to the guests. Uh -huh. So again, uh, Dr. McCoy, thank you so much for you know being on the show and looking forward to reading your book. Thank you so much. And after you do, let me know. I'll be waiting to hear from you. Uh, I sure will. And that will end the author showcase for, you know, this Saturday. Uh, of course, next week, we got another great author that will be on here. Uh, looking forward to that. And I hope that you will tune in uh, next Saturday. That's uh, 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Central. Mm -hmm. Until then, have a great Saturday. Bye, sir. The views expressed on this program are those of the guests and not necessarily the views of management and staff of OBS Radio, OBS International, and Greater Works Business Services. Guests who appear on this podcast are not required to pay a fee and is made possible by RadioGuestList.com. For more information, please visit our website at www.obsintl.cf. Follow OBS on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash broadcast section. If you want to contribute financially to help us continue broadcasting, please go to paypal.me.obsintl. Thanks for tuning in. We will see you next time. This is OBS Radio, a service of OBS International, a division of Greater Works Business Services.